Well, today we're doing something a little different. We're ordaining deacons and commissioning deacons. What does that mean? We have four deacons that need to be ordained. They'll be in the first four chairs, his and three others. And then we have four other deacons that have already been ordained. Two from this church, two from other churches that we have already elected. You've already done that. And those eight are already ministering, I promise you. And today we're going to commission four and ordain four. And I'll explain that later. But a lot of people ask in every church, what do deacons do? Well, some don't do anything. And some do a great deal. I put it this way, some deeks deek and some deeks don't. <laughs> I've known a lot of deacons in my life. I must tell you, because of my uh, upper 40s in age and, and all that, I, I've ministered with lots of deacons. And I've found a few knuckleheads over the years. And we hear about those difficult situations sometimes. I've had a few of those. I've heard of a few of those. But truthfully, they are extremely rare. The vast majority of men with whom I have worked have been godly servants who love to minister. I don't have time. I could tell you a lot of stories, but I want to start with one. I was a young pastor in Texas long ago, very young. I was in my second church at age 26. I had been in my first church for three years. I'd just been called to a new church in Gatesville, Texas. You don't know where it is, but it's out there. It's west of Waco. You've heard of Waco. Okay, it's 35 miles west of Waco. Our second baby girl, uh, little Laura, was born in Waco, Texas. So we lived in Gatesville, Texas, and I was 26 years old. God help those dear people, but anyway... An elderly gentleman came by the office one day and he said, who are you? And I introduced myself and he said, are you the youth pastor here? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not the youth pastor. I'm the pastor pastor. I didn't know how to say it, really. He said, you're kidding. No, no, no. I, I'm what keeps them from having a pastor. Yes, I am the pastor. Sorry. He said, well, I used to be pastor here. I said, Really? He said, yes, sir. He said, I was pastor here when it was called a halftime church. Now, you may not know what that is, but churches used to have more than one. Uh, the pastors had more than one churches. If it was a small situation and they were itinerant ministers, sometimes they had a quarter-time church where they only had preaching once a month. Had Sunday school every week, but the preacher would come, had four different churches or two different churches, and Live Oak, that was the name of the church, it was a halftime church. So they had services every other week, and this preacher would have another church on the third or four, uh, third and first and third, thank you, or second and fourth, whatever, whatever. So he said, yeah, it was a halftime church, and he said, I was a student at Baylor University in Waco. I said, cool. He said, well, we got in a situation. He said, now let me ask you, is Deacon Estine Williams still alive? Estine Williams. I said, yes, sir, he's very elderly, he's not in good health, but he's very much alive. Well, let me tell you a story about Estine Williams. I said, okay. Old men love to tell stories, you see. 
He said, I was a student at Baylor University and I was a part-time pastor and he said it was a half-time church and he said, I was way out of my league. But he said, we were building a building. He said, and S. T. Williams was the chairman of the building committee. I said, he can't do that anymore, but the last time a building was built here, S. T. was named the honorary chairman of the building committee because he's so revered, so loved, such a wonderful man. And he was. He really was. He said, well, let me tell you what happened. He said, we were building this building, and we finished the building, and the lumber company from whom we had bought the lumber claimed that we owed for a load of lumber and had not paid. He said, our records were not good, but whatever. And he said, Esteen said we had paid, and the lumber company said we had not paid. So they threatened to take us to court. They were going to sue us for non-payment of a load of lumber. He said, I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do. I'm a young pastor. He said, and I thought, we need a lawyer. And the only lawyer I knew was the president of Baylor University. His name was Pat Neff, N-E-F-F. Now, Josh, boy, you need to look that name up, son, because he became the governor of the state of Texas and became the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, one of only a handful of laymen that ever was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. We went to a state park called the Mother Neff State Park. First park was named after his mama, Mother Neff. He said the only lawyer I knew was President Pat Neff, president of Baylor University. So I made an appointment to go see him. I said, what happened? He said, well, I went in to see President Pat Neff. And I told him the story. They say we owe. S.T. Williams says we don't. He said, Who, who's the chairman of your building committee? S.T. Williams. Pat Neff said, well, I've never met him. But I know who he is. And if S.T. Williams says you don't owe for a load of lumber, you don't owe for a load of lumber. I know him and I know his word. So you go back and tell that lumber company, President Pat Neff will gladly represent your church in any legal action they may wish to pursue. I said, what happened? He said, I went back to that lumber company and told them exactly those words, and they decided to drop that issue real quick. They were not about to go up against President Pat Neff, later governor of the state of Texas. Wow. Let me tell you something. And that's the way Esteen was. Perfect? No, I'm sure he wasn't. But he had the reputation that deacons need. Well, the truth is, don't we all need that kind of reputation? That our word is our bond? Our word is true? It, shouldn't that be the way we all are? It ought to be that way. Today we're going to talk about the ministry of encouragement. And it's not a message to deacons exclusively. But brethren, you better listen. But this is for all of us. It's called the ministry of encouragement. To be able to encourage someone is truly one of the great marks of a mature Christian. To be able to mature, to, to encourage someone is truly a mark of somebody that is growing in the Lord. Because none of you probably know, none of us know, 
what a word of encouragement actually can do in the life of a man or a woman to whom we speak. You don't know what's going on in his or her life. And when that word is spoken or that action is ministered, you don't know what it might do then or down the road. I'll tell you another story. I once uh, listened uh, cassette tapes to preachers. You don't do that anymore, but there was a day and time. Any young people? Okay, who do you do you not even not even know what a cassette tape is? Well, we used to have those things, and that was that that succeeded the eight track tape. Now, some of you really going back on that one? Yes, I know. When I was young, we did stone carvings. That's how we communicated. But anyway, I used to listen to cassette tapes, and I had a Methodist that I actually liked to hear. Yes, I said it here in front of God and everybody. I listened to a Methodist preacher named Floyd Craddock. He's now deceased. But he was a professor at a Methodist seminary in Atlanta, Georgia. He told this story. I heard it on the cassette tape. I met him years later, and I said, Mr. Craddock, I listened to this story, and I have to ask you, was it really true? He said, yes, sir, it is. Floyd said in this cassette tape, he said, um, my wife and I were just burned out, and we wanted to get away out of the Atlanta area and out of the seminary, so we decided we're going to go up to the mountains and just have some time. So he said, we wanted to get away from people. So we found us at a little uh, roadside cafe in the mountains of Tennessee slash North Carolina, the Great Smokies, on the Tennessee side. They call it the quiet side. And he said, we, we were just enjoying the beautiful uh, you know, ambiance of the roadside cafe there in the Smokies and, and just enjoying the quietness. And I, I looked and saw a tottering old man with a cane. And he was walking from table to table, bothering everybody in the whole restaurant. And I said to my wife, well, I hope he doesn't come over here. I came up here to get away from people. And I hope he doesn't come over here and bother us. Sure enough, the tottering old man came over to us and said, hey, and started asking questions. That none of his business, none of his business. But, you know, he was an elderly man, so what do you do? Hey, what are y'all doing up here? Well, we came up here to get away from people. Hint, 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 hint. It's like some of you love this social distancing thing, don't you? you just love it. Well, really, what do you do? Where are you from? We're from Atlanta. Well, what do you do? He said, uh, well, he said, I teach preachers. I'm, I'm a seminary professor. You're kidding. No, I, I teach preachers down in Atlanta. Really? He said, well, I got a preacher story. And Craddock thought, oh, no. Everybody's got a preacher story. There are more preacher stories than there are lawyer jokes. A lot of those. All valid and all... Anyway, never mind. <laughs> so the man said, yeah, I'll tell you my story. They didn't want to hear it, but he was going to tell it anyway. He said, now listen carefully. He said, when I was a little boy, he said, I lived a rough life. My mama was not married. And in those days, I was treated terrible. I was called terrible things. I was treated horribly, awfully. 
He said, and I learned real quick, I didn't belong anywhere, I didn't belong to anybody, and I was worth nothing. Craddock's listening now to this old man's story. He said, now my mom and I lived near a church house. And he said, for some reason, I like to go hear that preacher. He scared me to death, but I like to hear him. He said, I'd slip in in the back row. Must not have been a Baptist church. I'd slip in on the back row, and I'd listen, and then I would leave before anybody could grab me and say, boy, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Boy, like you doesn't belong anywhere. So I'd just slip in, slip out, slip in, slip out. And he said, one day, he said, I got so caught up in what that, that preacher, he always wore black or dark. He was tall. He scared me, but I loved everything he said. He said, one day I got so caught up in what that man was saying, I forgot to get out in time. And there were people between me and the door. And I knew I was in trouble. And I'm trying to get out the best I can. Because a little boy like me, I knew I didn't belong there. I didn't belong anywhere. That's what he said. And he said, I just tried to get out of there. And all of a sudden I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I thought, oh no, I'm caught. And then of all things, you know who caught me? That preacher. He grabs me and says, boy, who are you? And then he asked me questions. I didn't want anybody to ask me. And I didn't answer any of them because I was so scared. Boy, who do you belong to? Boy, who's your daddy? Well, I didn't know. I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. And he just looked at me and said, wait a minute, I know who you are, and I know who you belong to. And I know who your daddy is. You belong to God, boy. You belong to God. Go claim your inheritance, boy. And I was out of there in a shot. And I decided to claim my inheritance. And then the old man just tottered off. Well, Craddock's just like you right now. He's just enthralled with this story. And he, he says, sir, sir, what's your name? My name's Hooper, Ben Hooper. Well, me being the skeptic I am, looked it all up. Sure enough, Ben W. Hooper was governor of the state of Tennessee. Two-term governor, born illegitimate, state of Tennessee, 1911, I think, through 1918 or something like that. Ben Hooper, governor of the state of Tennessee, born illegitimate, a boy who knew he didn't belong anywhere, worth nothing, but because one preacher said to him, boy, you go claim your inheritance. You belong to God. It changed his whole life. Why? Because somebody ministered encouragement to that boy. Someone of importance, someone he respected, someone ministered a ministry of encouragement to that boy. That's what God wants us to be doing. Turn quickly to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 11, please. I've got some things from God's word I want to share with you today. No, we're not going through the gospel of John today. We're taking a brief respite. I'll come back to it next week. I beg of you, I ask you to come back next week because we're going to be looking at the first part of John 14, which is very personal to me. 
Uh, and I'll tell you why. I don't talk about personal things a whole lot, but I'm going to next week as we talk about John 14, the very first few verses. But today we come to Acts chapter 11. We study the life of a man named Barnabas. Real quickly, keep your Bibles open. Open it to chapter 11. Keep it open, please, as we look at what happened in the early church, the ministry of this man named Barnabas. Chapter 11, we're going to look first of all at verses 22 through 24. Just 22 through 24. It says, Then the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. Antioch is in modern-day Turkey. It is part of what used to be called Asia Minor. So he sends him as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he did what? He encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. We see in verse 24 the type of person he was. Verse 23, we see the type of ministry that he was involved in. But let's look even closer at the components of this ministry of this man named Barnabas. First of all, the first main point, it contains a tangible expression. Though we're told in Romans 14, verse 19, these words, we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. We must confess that we, many of us would rather be encouraged than to be an encourager. Many people say, I need somebody to encourage me. Well, we would often rather be that way than not. We want someone to encourage us. But if we'll look at the book of Acts, we see this man being one who's always looking for someone to encourage. Turn back, if you will, just a moment to chapter 4. Chapter 4 of the book of Acts, you'll see in verse 36. Chapter 4, verse 36, something very beautiful. It says, Joseph a Levite and Cypriot by birth from the island of Cyprus. Dale and I got to go there years ago whom the apostles named Barnabas, which translated is what? Son of encouragement. Isn't that beautiful? His very name implied that which he did as a part of his life. His actions proved his heart's desire. How we need believers like that who are motivated by the call of God, by the person that they are in Christ to go encourage someone else. We need believers doing that. We need deacons doing that. We need people in the pews doing that. This contained a tangible expression. Second, it involves the encouragement of new believers. Look over to Acts chapter 9 with me just a moment, please. Acts chapter 9, real quickly. Verses 26 and 27. What happened there? It says when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Who are we talking about here? Saul, later Paul. Barnabas, however, 
took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how on the road Saul had seen the Lord and that he talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So one of the things that we see in Barnabas' life is he was an encourager to new believers. Here he takes this man named Saul. He had faith in this young man when no one else did Who knows what happens when ministry seeds are planted? As I said earlier, one never knows what impact you might have. So here he takes this young, raw believer named Saul, and he encourages him and puts his arm around him and just says, y'all give him a chance. Well, later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said, as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged comforted and implored each one of you to talk worthy of God who calls you into the kingdom, his kingdom and glory. So what am I saying? I'm simply saying that Paul became an encourager also. Well, how did he become an encourager? He learned it from his mentor, Barnabas. So the ministry of encouragement involves encouraging young believers. And let me tell you something. You ought to be patient with young believers. We get, you know, we get sometimes irritated because young believers may not say the right things and they may not act the way they should. Well, they've got a lot of growing to do. You be patient, deacons especially. Third, it involves a growth to submissiveness. Something interesting happens in Acts 13. And I know I'm jumping all over, but that's just the way it is. In Acts chapter 13, something very interesting happens. If you're a student of the book of Acts, and we may go through it after John, I don't know. You read the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts, and it's all about Peter and other people. Barnabas, he's named, and and you see an emphasis on Paul, excuse me, Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul. In verse 7, if you'll look, see something happens. It says in verse 7, he was with the proconsul. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear God's message. That's the way it was. But now look at verse 43 of the same chapter, and you will see it says Paul and Barnabas. And from there on, Paul is the leader. Barnabas is the submissive one. He's the secondary in the relationship. Because Paul grows and grows and his power grows, his ability grows, and Barnabas is put into the, 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 uh, the, you know, he, he's put into the background. So what happened? Did he get his feelings hurt? Nope, he did not. He saw the message was more important than the messenger. The ministry is always more important than the minister. He saw that in order... To be in the ministry of encouragement, one must learn the principle of self-denial and submissiveness. And so Barnabas, because of his maturity, never complains. But did everything he could to make Paul succeed. You may not always get the attention you think you are worthy of. But you shouldn't even think that way. Give glory to God. Let other people shine. In order to be in the ministry of encouragement, you must learn the principle of submissiveness. Quickly and last, 
it involves the building up of those who fail. Look with me to Acts 15. Acts 15. Something important is going on here. Verse 36 through 41. Verse 36 through 41. It says, after some time it passed. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. We're going to go on an encouragement tour, church to church, all throughout Asia Minor. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man because what had happened, he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. Verse 39, there was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and sailed off to Cyprus. Excuse me, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. And then Paul chose Silas and departed after after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. What happened here was a serious disagreement between two brothers and it happens disagreements occur so much so that they split up Barnabas takes John Mark Paul takes Silas so what did God do out of that well now instead of one team they've got two powerhouse teams but I need you to understand that when you're involved in the ministry of encouragement, you also build up those who fail. Well, you need to understand that Mark continued to mature after he had failed miserably, deserted them at their hour of need. Barnabas takes this man who was a failure and said, God's not through with you yet, son. God's not done with you. And so Mark continues to mature and grow in the faith. So much so that he wrote one of the Gospels. In fact, many, many, in fact, I would say probably most New Testament scholars believe in what is called Markan priority. That the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters, short chapters, was the first written Gospel about the Lord Jesus. Others agree, don't agree, but I'm telling you, the majority believe in Mark and priority. Who knows? But he wrote a gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to understand that Paul began to admire him so much that in 2 Timothy 4.11, at the end of his life, guess who Paul requested that he come see him? Please send John Mark to come visit me during his final days well what do we do with those who have fallen well we ought to be building them up do we really believe that when you fail God's through with you well no so what do we do about it deacons and other Christians who are mature seek to build them up and encourage them and help them in every way Recognizing God's grace and forgiveness is real or it's not. And I choose to believe that it is. The ministry of encouragement, it's a must for deacons and all believers. In such a negative age as this, 
I will tell you, we desperately need the ministry of encouragement around us. And I ask you, I don't care whether you're a deacon or not, will you be a Barnabas? Will you be a Barnabas? Before you commit to such a ministry, you've got to remember what we read early on. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And that is available for every man and every woman in the kingdom of God. May we commit this day to be a Barnabas. To be a Barnabas. Pray with me, please. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your precious word. Lord, I know that it's easier to be encouraged than it is to encourage. Lord, I know that when people fail, we can just cast them aside so easily because we're not like them. But when we really look at honestly, we, honestly, we are. So we pray, Father, that we would have a church filled with men and women who are people like Barnabas, sons and daughters of encouragement. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would minister even now during this time that we would give our hearts fully and totally to you and to the ministry of encouragement. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing just a few verses of a song of commitment. If God's leading you to join the church, we'd love you to have you today. If God is leading you to recommit your life to the Lord, we'd love for you to do that publicly or privately. That's your business. We would love for someone to give their heart to Jesus today. I got to tell you, I had a little bit of revival two days ago because a friend of mine was buried and I watched his sermon, his funeral, Robbie Zacharias. And the preacher, who I always thought was a little too Calvinistic for my doings, beings, Louis Giglio, got up and preached one of the finest evangelistic messages I've ever heard in my life. So my estimation of him just went way up. And he said, if you want to give your life to Christ, pray right now. And he prayed that prayer of salvation. And God offers that to us too. Give your life to Christ today. Let's stand. Let's sing. Brother Tim, come lead us. <laughs>